Two friends, Alan Dale and Jerry Carew, who grew up just a few streets apart in St. John's East End, have been separated by Canada's geography for three decades. They came together virtually during the pandemic to chat about like-minded interests. Alan lives in PEI and Jerry in Newfoundland. Thriving in remoteness has been a common theme for both of them during the pandemic. Gale Force wins. The podcast is the result. Welcome to Gale Force Winds. I'm Alan Dale, and with me as always, Jerry Carew. How are you, Jerry? Doing well, Al. Uh, today we had another little bit of snow, and uh, I was out for a little bit with the snowblower. Yesterday we had snow, I was out with the snowblower. So you're getting a theme here? Soon time for this to go away. Uh, our guest today, I don't think, is dealing with much snow, but uh, some parts of the United States have gotten snow, but... Uh, Really, really looking forward to our chat. We have a person who has a sports background, business background, and a motivational speaking background. That is the combination for Gale Force wins. Uh, Jerry, it's uh, so exciting uh, for sure to be back at it again. Snow in Newfoundland, we try not to date ourselves. So really, snow in Newfoundland could happen in July. So we're really not <laughs> dating what's going on here. Um, yeah, Jerry, you know, of course, the Navy asked us, to get involved with them and interview a guest every month. And I have to tell you that it's been a great journey on with the Royal Canadian Navy from the uh, Command Chief Petty Officer Dave Steves to Matt Corbett, a great sailor jumping out of airplanes, diving in the water. It's been great. And uh, today is going to be no exception. The Royal Canadian Navy has this outstanding program where they bring uh, Canadians in leadership positions inspirational people to join the ranks of the Canadian Navy as honorary captains and take that great Navy of the, the great story of the Navy forward. And today we're in for a real treat. We've got honorary uh, uh, Captain Karina LeBlanc on with us. We're certainly excited to hear a little bit about Karina's journey. Karina, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, thanks for having me here today. Uh, my name's Karina LeBlanc. Um, one of the things I actually don't like to do is talk about myself, but uh, I will go towards this. I was the former goalkeeper for our beautiful country of Canada. I played for 18 years, so five World Cups, two Olympics, won a medal. Um, that's aging me because I, I still claim I'm like 28 years old. But um, I had the best job in the world representing our country. And uh, I can say, now I've, I've, I'm in charge of helping lead women's football uh, with our 41 members association, which is our countries of North America, Central America, and the Caribbean countries, and in helping develop and grow the, the region in, in showing the power of the game of, of women's football, as we call it, women's soccer. But most importantly, I am an honorary captain of our beautiful Royal Canadian Navy. So, yeah, you're going to have to ask me more. Tell me, I, tell me, how does your journey take you from the a goalkeeper on Canada's uh, national team to the doorstep of the Royal Canadian Navy? I don't see the connection. How did this happen? <laughs> if you, my teammates uh, were saying that, they'd be like, that's typical of uh, KK. That's my nickname. <laughs> Honestly, you know, it's interesting. In 2011, um, as a national team, we went into the Women's World Cup and we were supposed to finish top four and we came dead last. And I remember we'd given up everything and it was 
it was devastating. It, we were broken. I remember walking off the field and like being asked, how's it feel to let your country down and all the things that, you know, you don't really like to hear. And within nine months of that loss with different leadership, we stepped on the podium, saw our flag rise and won an Olympic medal for our country. And the difference, as I said about, was our leadership. And it was John Herdman. And he came in and told us there's two types of people who get to wear the flag on their hearts as a job. Those that protect the country, which is the military, the Navy, and those that inspire the country. And if you want to understand how to inspire the country, you must learn from those who protect the country. And it was incredible because we would watch videos and read articles and really go deep into the level and the interesting part was the Royal Canadian Navy and when we were doing probably fitness where he would say if you're ready to quit think of the men and women who put their job their lives on the land to protect our country and right when you're ready think of them and it was interesting we completely changed our culture we started with our why. He was like, why are you here? And I, and I, I think if you've ever, I, I'm sure every one of us has been broken before. When you ask somebody their why when they're broken, you don't know. But he changed our why into going to the Olympics to win a medal versus going to inspire the next generation. And once we shifted our mindset, it was like every single day, we did whatever it took to be a great Canadian. And for me, a great Canadian was the Navy. Now, fast forward, I got inside and invited to do like a one-day sale. And most people were like, okay, that's cool. But for me, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. Like, I get to meet the people that have inspired us and me to be the best version of myself. So, obviously, on that one-day sale, I had a million questions because I wanted to know about leadership. I wanted because I was, I was, it was a beautiful interest for me. So I did that, and then I got to do the, the Canadian leaders at sea, a class. So I spent four days on a ship going from uh, Victoria down to San Francisco. And I got to see just how everything worked, like leadership at its finest. Speaking to the men and women on board, and it was interesting, when we went and ate with them, one of the gentlemen stood up when I walked in the room and he just started clapping. So I started clapping and looking around like, who are we clapping for? This is fantastic. He goes, I watched that game. And I was like, what game? He said, the game when you guys lost to the Americans. And I was like, oh boy. Because for me, like to this day, people come up and they're like, you owe me a TV. I threw my beer at the TV. Like, what was that rest? Oh, you know? And it was interesting because the story that people know is that we lost to the Americans, our big brothers, who always beat us. But what inspired us was the reason that we went to inspire. Canadians inspired us. Because when we lost that game, we're like, oh, we've, we've messed up again. And then all of a sudden, we saw the prime minister speaking. And young girls, but it was men and women. And Canadians cared about us. I remember the prime minister said, bring home that bronze medal. And it was, again, you go hoping to inspire people, but when those people inspire you, it's a completely different conversation. And so for me, spending those four days on that ship was just like four of the best days of my life. And I was up early, you know, asking questions. And I remember when I was leaving, I asked the captain, what's one word you would use to describe your leadership? 
and he said invested. It was phenomenal. It was perfect. And so for me, when I got the call to be an honorary captain, you have to understand, like, winning a medal for a country was one of the best moments of my life. But getting that call to be an honorary captain for the shipmates and the people of the Royal Canadian Navy, I was, like, jumping up as if I'd won gold. And so I don't know how I got here, but I'm here and I'm celebrating it. Karina, that's, that's, that's incredible. So you spent four days at sea. Tell me this. Can you draw a, a parallel between the leadership you saw there and, and the way that unit worked together on a ship? Because it's really neat, eh, to watch mm-hmm. how they all work together and they function as one uh, on that ship to make it all work. Do you see similarities between the functioning of an Olympic team and a destroyer at sea? Are there any similarities there? Oh, absolutely. I think that was what was so perfect for me because I'd retired at that point. And, and for athletes, they call your retirement like your first death, right? Because I was no longer surrounded by everyday women who thought like me, women who chose never to be average at anything. Women who are like every day is about finding that extra 1% as to how to be a better version of yourself. People who are inspired by something greater than themselves. And so stepping on that ship, I had missed my team. And it was the perfect example of team I'd ever seen. I remember going in a leadership meeting and it was 18 minutes long or 20 minutes long. And there was 18 different, you know, like updates. And they did it in 20 minutes. Where have we been in a corporate... conversation or meeting where it's like, and I asked, I said, how did you know to keep it? And he's like, I don't want to let my shipmate down. If I take over my time, that lets him not being able to tell the captain what's going on. Mm -hmm. So you see that, but you get, you see this essence and this, this understanding of we are inspired by something bigger than ourselves. Every single day, it's not about me or what I do. It's that I'm a part of something bigger and what we are going to, we're vision clear on what we stand for, who we represent and who we are as Canadians. And like I told you, for us, it was, these were the great Canadians we wanted to emulate. These were the great Canadians and I was seeing them in action. And the reality is most people sometimes think the shipmates and the people of the Navy are I don't even know why, not the most incredible and geniuses of the world. Because if you sit and have a conversation with these people, you're blown away, right? Engineers that they could be doing anything, but they're choosing to put their lives on the side in honor of representing and protecting our country. It's the things that you learn on the ship. And I just connected it so much because being on the Olympic team, it's the same thing. Every single day you wake up and you're like, okay, you know what? I'm not just going to cruise through this day. I'm going to own this day. I'm going to be the best version of myself. And literally, that's what I saw day in and day out on those four days on the ship. It's pretty amazing to watch, isn't it? I mean, there's something special about watching people come together and working as one for a higher purpose, right? In, the, in, your, in your soccer, in your team, you're playing for Canada, right? And on the ship, they're playing for Canada too. It's got a different connotation. You know, they do different things, of course, but they're playing for Canada. And it's very difficult to describe that to a lot of Canadians. I tend to agree. 
Now, Jerry and I are from St. John's, Newfoundland. We're pretty proud of that, both Jerry and I. And we often celebrate uh, a lot of what it is to be Newfoundlanders. And a lot of the people that we interact with uh, are from Newfoundland and stuff. And we, we love that part of our life. We're very proud of it. Although I live in Prince Edward Island, I, my roots in Newfoundland are deep. Tell me about an experience that you've had in Newfoundland. Well, I can say St. John's holds a dear place to my heart. Um, I, Christine Sinclair, Diana Matheson, Reen Wilkinson, and I, we, we formed this, call, this company called IS4, so I strive for it. And we decided when we came home, and to be honest with you, it was literally like we were sitting in Toronto after we won the medal and Canada had just received us so amazingly. And we're having a couple drinks and we're like, <laughs> what are we going to do with this medal, right? Like, you know, people always ask, where's the medal? Where'd you put it? And it's so many things. You always dream of winning the medal, but you never really think of life after. Like the night, that night when you have the medal, do you, where do you put the medal? Do you sleep with it on your neck? Do you put it in the drawer where somebody could steal it? Like all these things. And we're like, you know what? We want Canadians to understand that this medal was for them. We want them to be able to hold it and touch it and believe that they were part of it. And so we decided to go to different parts of the country that many people didn't go to. And one was St. John's. And I'll never forget it because we went there and enjoying ourselves. We were on stage and there was a little girl in the corner of my eye that I caught her attention right away. And I would see, I saw her and me because she was like this little shy kid. Nobody ever believed shy, but soccer changed my life. I was the shyest kid. And so every time I'd look over at her, she'd be like, look down. And she'd be like, no, no, not let me look. And I'd look, she'd look down. And I was like, okay. So I went over and grabbed her phone and I was like, swiped over and I was like, hi, how are you? What's your name? And she was just so quiet. And I was like, come on, talk to me. And so her sister, she's a twin sister. She was like, Michaela. And I was like, all right, Michaela, you know, what's going on? And I just kind of made a message to her. And it, it, was, it was pretty powerful because I thought that as a job, as an athlete, you, you want to live your purpose. And I thought, sweet, I've lived my purpose today. I've made a little girl happy and, and then I'm, I'm good. And so months later, I'd, I'd get uh, an email from her mother, Michelle, and she informed me that Michaela had a brain tumor and, you know, the power of that moment. And I ended up playing a game the next game I played for, and I put for Michaela on my gloves, and I, so, I wrote a little card and I send it. And, you know, that generation, it was like on Instagram, she was like, exclamation mark, oh my God, you know? So I was like, sweet. I've, I've lived my purpose. And I remember, um, obviously months later, um, I got a, a message from her mother um, and she said that Michaela had passed. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember crying and, and just being rocked by it and being like, how, how did, this one moment that I met this beautiful young girl impact me so much that I would be sitting here crying. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it dawned on me that like there was a strong connection there and I, I needed to go back. And I was on the road for about uh, two weeks and I was flying to Halifax. And I remember telling my husband, 
you know, I'm going to go an extra day and I'm going to fly to St. John's. And he was just like, absolutely, you have to do that. Because he knew what Michaela had meant to me. And I remember going to Halifax and I did the, a gala for UNICEF and I pulled out my phone and I, I just said, I challenged everyone who was listening to live the next 48 hours of their life purposefully, whatever they were doing. And just like you guys are here right now, I challenge you now to live the next 48 hours starting now of your life purposefully. I put down the phone, did the keynote. We raised a lot of money in Halifax and I flew to St. John's. I remember meeting her mom and crying, just, just the heaviest tears. And, you know, I remember on the phone call, she's like, why would you do this? And I was like, for Michaela. And I got to go to her school to meet her classmates. And I remember this little kid was like, hey, by the way, like, I, I just spoke, I just stood up to my bully. And I was like, why did you do that? I saw your video in 48 Hours of Purposeful Living. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, don't, you know, lots of people have seen that. Then I went to the hospital. And I remember I got to spend some moments in, in the room. Um, I'm trying to be mindful because I, if, if Michelle does tune into this, I, I'm, I'm holding back tears because I want her to know that Mikhail is important to me. But anyway, um, and sitting in that room and watching her twin sister and her mom there, it, it, it hit me the power of a moment, right? We all live our lives and we have so many moments in our lives, but we, we don't realize the power of the moment that we can have on somebody that we don't even know by just being a great Canadian. And it again, ties back to the Navy and who these people are that represent our country. And I remember going to the soccer field and hosting a camp and people giving me notes, little pieces of paper. And I remember flying home and on those pieces of paper, it was what 48 hours of purposeful living looks like, where I'm going to spend time with my grandma and grandpa, or I'm going to tell my little brother and sister I love them, or, you know, my mom's pretty awesome. Maybe I should give her a bit more love, you know? But long story short, St. John's is filled with the most incredible people. And they, they helped me realize one of the most important things in life, which is there's power in every moment we live and we have the power to impact people every single day of our lives, whether we mean to or not. So we should just be that person, be that great Canadian and, and go towards living a life more like that. Uh, Jerry, do you want to jump in on this? <clears throat> I'm not sure that I, I, I'm not often speechless, but I, I'm pretty close here right now. It's uh, a powerful story. Um, I, I, I actually, I'm sad to say, I did not know this young girl and I did not know this particular story until you brought it up. It's, it's powerful. Um, I guess, uh, you know, a question I'd ask you now, I think people right now need that message more than ever. I'm a very well-adjusted person, but I can tell you, and St. John's has had a beautiful eight, nine months, I guess, of very few cases. Three weeks ago, we got slammed with this uh, new variant and uh, more cases than we ever thought imaginable. So we're back in a lockdown. I'm in business. I know so many people that are challenged. 
And I, I can tell you, you know, I have a lovely family, a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old boy, and I'm trying to be the best leader that I can be in this house right now. But I can tell you, there's times where it's, uh, I'm, I'm stretched. Uh, and and uh, I think I can only imagine anyone who has challenges coming into this, how they're feeling. Karina, I don't know, you know, you, you must be, being a motivational speaker like you are, you must be hearing people needing that help. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, I went through my own challenge in COVID. Um, and it was probably my biggest challenge yet. And I would say like, probably all my years of mental training for my sport made sense in that moment. I gave birth to my first beautiful baby girl. Her name's Paris. Um, when COVID started, I was very pregnant. And I'd flown down to the Bahamas to um, do some work. And the doctor uh, had said, um, I don't think you should fly anymore because we don't know what this virus is, can do, et cetera, et cetera. And so we actually have a place here, which I still am in. And I gave birth. It was what it is. No, birth. Well, it wasn't the easiest birth, but I thought, okay, I'm done. I'm through this. And um, a few days later, I would experience shortness of breath. And I remember waking my husband up and saying, um, I can't breathe. And, you know, him sitting me up and being like, what's going on? And I'm like, no, 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 I know my body. And because as a woman, you know, after birth, people tell you you're going to be swollen and whatnot. But the experience of me knowing my body as an athlete, I was like, this isn't normal. And we called the doctor and the doctor basically was like, you don't have time for the ambulance, get to the hospital. And so I'm sitting next to my daughter <laughs> as we raced through the streets and it was lockdown. So there was nobody allowed on the streets. Um, squeezing her, she's squeezing me. I'm telling my husband the goodbye speech and I'm realizing that I'm not even going to get to see her grow up. And that was hard. And um, the good of the story is um, I had pleural effusion, and we'll go, we won't go into those details, but black women are three times more likely to experience um, death in birth than any other race. Did not know that. <laughs> but what I did know and what was a blessing is I was here in the Bahamas where they are used to dealing with women of color. Um, so those three days I, I was in the hospital and unfortunately, when I went into the ER, the head of the ER contacted the virus, and sadly, he would die. And again, this is at the beginning of COVID. So they actually said to me, it's better for you to be home than here because we don't know how bad it is in the hospital. So I went home, but the catch was I would have to quarantine for two weeks from my daughter and my husband, from everyone, obviously. And for someone who's just given birth to their child, that's, that's a pretty hard thing. And because, again, we didn't know anything, I think every hour of every day I was like, let me just go give her a hug. You know, I could hear her cry. I could everything. And my husband, who's like first-time dad, is now fully taking care of our daughter and me, you know, feeding me, opening the door, giving me food and whatnot. But those two weeks, I think, was... Um, one of the most powerful moments of silence and helps me realize, first of all, how strong I am and how strong we all are. 
you know, I think as we go through this, everyone will have their COVID story. And the one thing I can say to people at home is that I'm a true believer. I have, I have a strong element of faith and, and God in my life. And I use those two weeks to ask the questions of what have I not learned in my life that I need to learn now that can prepare me for my next level of greatness. And if we all sit in this area, in this uncomfortable space, and go towards actually taking that silence and the time, and no matter where we are in life, ask ourselves, what do I need to learn now that's going to propel me to my next level of greatness? When we break through this, right, we're going to break through this, and we're going to find that the old version of ourselves actually needed some tweaking, (laughs) The old version of ourselves lost sight of what was most important because for me now, having a daughter, when it comes to the heaviest conversations, and let me not lie, right after that, right when I thought I was on my two feet and I held my daughter again and it was extremely emotional, best day of my life, the death of George Floyd happened. (laughs) And I just thought, I'm standing, and it was like this big wave that came over me. Because all of a sudden, I'm this voice, right? I moved to Canada when I was eight, where I was the only black girl in my town and my school. I was shy. Soccer changed my life. So in an essence, in Canada, I wasn't white enough. And then I went to the States where I played my professional career and went to university, and I wasn't black enough. And then all of a sudden, I'm a mother holding my daughter, being like, who am I? Where's my voice? Why is my voice not strong and loud enough. Why? This is where I should be. And if I thought there was a lot of meter requests for what I went through with Paris, now there's meter requests asking for a black woman who has a platform, come lead us. And all of a sudden I was, I was blank because I realized that I'd suppressed so much and I hadn't, I was holding so much back. And then I'm holding my daughter and I'm like, when she asked me 20 years from now, mommy, what did you do during this time? It has to matter. So I'm trying to find my voice and my why now is even bigger and it's for her. But then there's all of these elements to it. And it literally was going towards the most uncomfortable conversations, but doing it for the right reasons, doing it not for the platforms and the voices, because I, I actually didn't say yes to most of those interviews in the beginning. I said yes to the private ones. And I remember calling one of my teammates and speaking for about two hours and us crying. And she's like, I played with you for 16 years and I've known, never known you better than in this moment. And it was that when I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a voice to this. And, and, and I, we went towards this. We've gone towards this with, with the Navy I was on the call with Vice Admiral Baines and several other women um, last week and men talking about race within the Navy and going towards the hard conversations and the same thing about women. So, you know, I've learned and I I would just tell everyone to understand that you're actually going to get through this and you're going to be a better version of yourself, more in line with who you were actually put on this earth to be and less aligned to who society wanted you to be. And it's hard. And you sit there and it's uncomfortable and you're like, get me out. But if when you're in the pit, and I learned this as an athlete, 
when you're in the pit, if you can see the light and be like, you know what? Thank you for this hard time because I know I'm going towards a better version of myself. I think that's when you can start to see the victory. And for me, my victory was just holding Paris after those two weeks. But I think as Canadians, our victory is to remind ourselves of what great Canadians are, like great Canadians. And that's start being the global leaders that we always were in that conversation. Karina, you're a hundred. I mean, there's so much to unpack in that story that you just told us. But just to pick up on your last point, you are so right. Canada, Canadians, we have an opportunity now to step forward and take the time this last year that we've had to reflect. And, and many of us have in our own ways, reflect on where we are and where we want to go, whether that's personally, professionally, what have you. It's all part and parcel of the conversation. But now I think is Canada's time to step forward. We have so much to offer the world, so much to offer the world. It would be a shame if we didn't offer it to the world. Absolutely. And that's an amazing story about um, not holding your daughter for that couple of weeks after she was born and dad pitching in there, right? I mean, a shout out to dad too. Dad, shout out to yeah. dad. Yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, He's a real hero. <laughs> right. But tell me about what that felt like. Hold your daughter after that two weeks. Well, that, I mean, new mom, oh. baby. Tell me about that. That is um, so emotional. To say so emotional, that's the biggest understatement because I cried um, like I've never cried before in my life. It was like I took my first breath again. And it was a dip different sound. It was a different reason for living. It was, I have more time with her and I'm not going to waste it. And I think it, it aligned me even more so to my why on this earth, right? And I'd always felt I was driven by living a purposeful life. And I always wanted to impact others for the positive. But my why is now to impact whoever I can in this world so that it's a better place for her. And I want to be her hero. And I don't, I don't mean that as an athletic hero or because I get, my mom was my hero. But I want whenever she asks me the hard questions, and also I want her to ask me the hard questions. But I want her to, I want to be able to give her answers that make her be like, yeah, my mom's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, because I, to answer your question, Alan, I, I cried, I cried a cry that I'd never even known existed. And it was just, it was, I felt so grateful. I felt so grateful to, it wasn't even about having life again. It was being able to introduce a new life with her, for her, by her. And, you know, I, I think anybody who's a parent, can, I, I was never a parent before, so I didn't understand that. But when something's been taken from you, I think that's, that's when you want it even more, and it's more beautiful when you get it back. It's amazing that you realize the moments of perspective while they're happening. Many people reflect back and say, oh, I, that, that was a moment of clarity for me. But you're in the moment on a lot of these things, whether it was with Paris, whether it was with Michaela, your time at sea. You were in the moment and you were seeing your perspective shift on things. And that's pretty fascinating to have that happen 
in the moment for you. The Canadian Navy is very lucky to have you on the team, incredibly lucky on the, to have you on the team. There's no doubt about that. What do you hope to bring to that conversation? For everything that you've been through and your, and, and your successes, your ups and downs and everything, and what do you hope to bring to the Canadian Navy in the conversation there? You know, I think if you asked me this question before what I've been through with COVID, I would have had a different answer. Because right. I think um, the, the goal is that each honorary captain owns their role and makes it what they want to make it. And I think I was more on like, hey, guys, how can I help? You know, I'm here. Um, I do this. I do that. And, I don't, you know, there's two things that, okay, let me just tell you what, this is why it's, an, it's such an honor. Um, I had the, the field that I grew up playing soccer on um, named after me. So I got the call from our mayor, and I remember calling, um, speaking to somebody within the Navy, and they're like, well, we'll send some shipmates. I'm like, why would you do that? Like, just little old me. And it made what was a special day, and there they were in uniform <laughs> in my little town of Maple Ridge saying, yes, ma'am. And all the little kids are like, what's going on here? Like, we thought you were cool, but this is really cool. And then <laughs> I was inducted into the Canadian Hall of Fame with my teammates. And again, guess who shows up? The Royal Canadian Navy, right? So it takes, they've taken every special moment I've had since I've been an honorary captain and made it a whole different level. So for me, I was like, how can I possibly do anything for you. Mm-hmm. And then this has happened. And then all of a sudden where I said is, it's almost like I've found my voice and it's me going on the forefront saying like, you're going towards um, BIPOC, right? Allyship for people of color. I'm there. You're going towards International Women's Day and you want a voice. I don't know how much my voice matters, but I know my voice. And in anywhere I can help, and, and shape and drive the conversation and, and, and open up doors and, and trigger these uncomfortable conversations. That's the only way we grow. Us being safe and being like, oh, it's okay, does not help anymore. Everyone has to step up and own their role. Whether it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter what gender you are, we all play a part in this. So instead of me just saying, hey, we all play a part, give me a call. I'm now saying we all play a, play a part. Where's my role, right? And I think in, in terms of the new leadership we have, Vice Admiral Baines is going towards that, which makes me feel like, okay, my voice does matter here. You know, I'm no longer just sitting and waiting. I'm like, hey, hand up. Where can I help? But then I also think part of it is also telling my story so that Canadians can see the incredible people that are doing these jobs, Right. It's one thing to think, but let's start sharing the stories. As we've heard, just even your, your, the two of you, you're, let's start telling the stories of the great individuals that represent our country so people respect what they're doing beyond just what they see, but knowing, you know, these are the sacrifices they go through. And they're still standing on guard for thee. And they're still being the best Canadians. And, and like you said, Alan, they're finding a way to rise in the midst of so many different conversations and controversy and times. They're still saying, okay, I'm still going to be true to who I am. 
And I think what I've learned from both of these conversations is the honesty, the, the authenticity, and the real re, the realisms of what's being said on these conversations. That's how we impact change. And so for me, if I'm just able to be a voice to that, that's incredible. And the Navy is happy to be in the conversations. They want to be in the conversations. They want to evolve. They want to grow. They want to represent Canada. Uh, Truly, they want to represent all Canadians. And they're not afraid to be in the conversations. And it's good that you're in the middle of that conversation with them and helping them through that because your voice is loud and proud and it's fantastic. I, I can't imagine what those conversations must be like. They're lucky to have you in the room. Wouldn't you agree, Jerry? Oh, absolutely. And Karina, I'm going to say something here. And, you know, it, I, I stand to be corrected by you. But t- sometimes I, I, I honestly, and this, this please, if, if this offends in any way, I, I'm uncomfortable <laughs> being a white male of privilege. Um, does that make any sense? And I, I'm struggling a little bit. And I will say this, my, my sister married a man from Kenya and uh, incredible uh, young man. They have two beautiful daughters. And, uh, you know, it's the, the I guess, um, race is on my mind. Those two young, my two nieces, if I found out anyone treated them poorly, I think I would literally, I'm not a violent person, but I could uh, jump up and, and, and do whatever it took to protect them. But at the same time, I, I am trying to find my voice in, in all of this. And I don't want to say anything that will offend anyone. I do know this, that I love people. I love listening to you. Your leadership qualities are incredible. People need to hear your message. But I, I personally need some leadership because I do feel sometimes a little uncomfortable with the conversation. And maybe that's a good thing, as you're saying. You know, I, I don't know what you tell. Hit me. Hit me with something so you can guide uh, me. I, first of all, the fact that you're saying you're a white privileged man is the first step, right? I'll let you know my husband is a white man. And when he said it, he started, he got quite emotional. Right. So my husband and I story, we dated, he played for the youth national team of Canada. Um, We dated from like 16 to like 19 and there was a big break and we got back together. But his family, unbelievable, unbelievable. And I'll tell you what, we went towards this conversation because they said, first thing, we don't see your color. I was like, stop right there. I want you to start seeing my color. And I'm saying this to a family that literally, I, I teased them. I was like, hey, how's the Brady Bunch doing? You know, like, they're just, I can't go to their house and be like, is there ever an off day? And now we're looking 25 years later, and they really are that family. And we went towards the conversation in the most beautiful way, where they're like, I'm sorry that I did not see your color. And it's the same conversation I had with my teammate, where she's like, I always saw you as a strong woman. But now I'm, I'm adding black to that. I want to see you as a strong black woman because I know what the term black means. It means that you've been through something and I'm recognizing it, right? And again, wow. My family, wow. Now, I, I can't say every black person feels this way. I can only tell my truth. 
But the fact that I was like, do you notice that when we would go to the mall, I would always get changed and you would go in your sweats. We'd never, we'd known each other for 25 years. I was like, because if anything goes missing, where are they looking? I have to dress appropriately so they know that I'm able to afford the things in the store. You don't. And we started to go towards this because I was like, it's time. I'm so happy we're going towards because we're raising a mixed race child. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that you never would have thought of that you now need to see. And him saying, you know what? I never even realized that I was so privileged as a white man. I knew that I was afforded positive justices, but I never even saw it like that. And to your point, first of all, it's the fact that you raised your hand and said, yes, that's who I am. But second of all, I challenge you to go towards it. Go towards reading more, listening more, asking more questions with the right people and know you're not going to get it right. I'm not getting it right. The truth is we're all trying to figure out our voice and navigate towards this because this really is the first time that it wasn't a a media campaign, right? This is the first time that people are still talking about it. And even whether it's at work for me where, you know, I'm going to my bosses and saying, I have an uncomfortable conversation I need to have with you. And then putting their hands up and being like, wow, thank you. Um, Can I respond to how I really feel and where I'm a bit lost, that's a win, right? Because it's, it's like a one to zero. It's not like one thing that's going to work for everyone else. Everyone's going to have their journey. But I can just say this, like how you presented it to me, I would have an offline conversation with you and go towards it because I know you want to be a part of it. And the thing is, everybody is a part of it, Right. Like if someone's actually sitting here listening to this today and be like, ah, well, you know, that doesn't really apply to me. You're part of the problem because it can't just be on people of color to make the shift and change. It's everyone saying, where can I be better? What am I doing today? Like every day you can ask yourself, like, what am I doing today to make this better? And if you continue to have nothing today, tomorrow, tomorrow, then you're part of the problem. So I think what you've already said is a positive step for mine. And you have a platform. I mean, what you guys are doing, you have people who are listening. So just think about that. Just in that comment that you made right there, there's somebody at home thinking, huh, mm-hmm. okay, that went okay. She, she didn't attack them, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I hope one thing I can say to you is I made you think that like you're actually taking the steps in the right direction. But the biggest thing is action, yeah. taking action to those questions. And, and to, you know, the fact that they will have somebody like you who's gone towards those questions, you'll at some point in their life be able to respond to a moment or an answer a question for them or respond in a way that they're looking at you that you have no idea that you look, they're looking at you that helps them understand that they're in a safe space around you based on you asking a question to me or to others at any time. Wow. I just, I I just learned a lot. You, you've brought me to school today and I appreciate that. Jerry Jerry and I often talk about vulnerability as being 
a very powerful tool to to let down your guard and ask the question like Jerry just did and and to, to be vulnerable and and allow yourself uh, to be open to others to give you um, ideas and help and suggestions and sometimes it's hard to be vulnerable with people but Jerry I applaud you for that Karina that was fantastic now Karina I want to unpack something you said earlier in the conversation you talked about how you were amazed at the leadership on board the destroyer that you were on at all levels because leadership of course finds itself in all levels right and you were amazed at that but you've got to know that you're an amazing leader yourself and that you're getting you're adding so much to the conversation for the Royal Canadian Navy. You are a leader in a, in, in amongst the group. Do you, do you see yourself through that lens or how do you see that? How do you? I do not. Well, Thank you a, for those words. That's uh, a, like, <laughs> it's, it's, I think something about myself is that I, I, I always want to stay humble and I also always don't want to take myself too seriously. Right. Um, and, and this is a lesson in life. Um, sometimes people, and this has been consistent for me. I, I know John Herdman, um, right after we won the Olympic medal, he told me, we need to talk. And we were in Brazil and I was like, well, when the coach says you need to talk, you need to talk. It's like, okay, when are we having our meeting? He's like, tomorrow. I was like, what do you want me to do for the next 24 hours? All I'm going to think about is the meeting you want to have with me. And he pulled me aside and he said, I'm going to have this conversation with you because I think it's my job. And he said, if you think your purpose on this earth is to kick a soccer ball for Canada, then I've failed you. And I said, what are you talking about? You know, I'm always signing autographs. I'm trying to always be the best version of myself. And it took me on a journey. I would be named a UNICEF ambassador. Um, and it led me to a deeper level of my why. But, again, you, you, you enter something like the Navy and the respect that I have for the men and women and people and individuals, and sorry if I've said that incorrectly, the respect that I have, I see myself as, as a voice um, to help, but in terms of a leader, uh, I think it's just because the, the level of respect that I have for the people that, that wear the uniform. Uh, I think that's why me being named an honorary captain, I'm still like, oops, do they really know? <laughs> Did I fool them? Like, okay. <laughs> um, but so that's why I appreciate your words, Alan. It, it, it's true and dear, and when, I appreciate them. When you get your uniform, you don't have it yet, do you? No, I don't, because I got, yeah. <laughs> so when you, when you get it, you've earned it there's no doubt about it so i wouldn't feel it it's funny that you mentioned that you try to be humble try not to take yourself too serious but you know what that is the key traits of these leaders in the navy the best leaders in the navy craig baines being one of them the best leaders in the navy they're just like that they try not to take <laughs> themselves too serious right they keep it level they're humble they're all about the people that are below them, just like you spoke here today. You're all about bringing others up, trying to help, trying to put others ahead of yourself. You're serving your country already. You're serving your country as an honorary captain, and that's to be applauded. Now, we always ask our guests to leave the audience 
with one small takeaway. We've unpacked a lot of things here today, and I can tell you, I'd like to have another two hours. I'd like to go down, I'd like to learn a little bit more about Paris. She sounds pretty, pretty amazing. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about her. I'd like to talk about a lot of things, but I'm cognizant of time. So I, I want you to think about what would that one piece of advice be? What would you, what would you say to Michaela today? What would you say, you know, to yourself 20 years ago? What piece of advice would that be? One piece of advice. Um, I think there's so many things there. I would say, I'm going to probably give a couple. It's to be your own hero. That's the advice I give myself. And I have my daughter. I asked my husband to bring it, her uh, in. Oh, uh, good. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, um, oh, wow. She's smiling. She's smiling. Look. She loves this is what I would tell her. I would tell her to be her own your hero. And I, I, I tell her this every day. There's a greatness within her. And I would say that to everyone else. There's a greatness within you. Don't let anything take that out of you. We're all on this earth to do great things. And greatness isn't mean you're impacting a million people. It could mean you're impacting your family or the people around you. But live your life living your greatness. Live your life living the purpose you're here on this earth. And, and just be your own hero. Like everything we've been through in this last year won't make sense. But it's for a reason. And I think it's time as, as Canadians we step into our own greatness, we rise through this occasion and we get to be proud of who we are because everyone will have a story and it's, it's devastating for all, but look what I got in the end. Right. And yeah, that's Jerry, what I would say. Jerry, your thoughts. Uh, one thing really resonates. I love the fact you brought your daughter and she's smiling. She's smiling at me, Alan, by the way, not you. Just so you know. <laughs> um, yeah, the one thing um, that you said, thank you for this hard time. That really resonates with me. Thank you for this hard time. This was not a hard time here today, but I thank you for this hard time. Alan? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is uh, another episode of Gale Force Winds, and what an honor it was uh, to speak with Captain Karina LeBlanc. Karina doesn't have her uniform yet, but when she puts that on, it's going to be an impressive day for the Royal Canadian Navy. Uh, Karina, I want to thank you for your service, for what it is that you're doing for our country, for what you have done for our country as an athlete. Uh, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for what you're about to do for the Royal Canadian Navy. Boy, are they lucky to have you. Are we lucky to have you as a Canadian. Uh, <laughs> yes, Paris. Absolutely. My, my honorary right. captain again. <laughs> he doesn't get to touch that. Well, so, thank you guys. I appreciate the time. And hello to all your viewers. And um, you guys are in great hands every single day. So you have a new fan in me. Great. And <laughs> I always leave the podcast uh, with one last piece of advice, and that is. The world needs more Karina LeBlanc. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Say bye. 
Thank you for tuning in to Gale Force Winds. That's Gale Force Winds, W-I-N-S dot com.